Lord, as we sang in the closing hymn, we prayed and we sang that you will renew a right spirit within us. That is what your word does. Your word renews a right spirit, a right mind within us. Father, we come as a people of God, as my brother Wujin said, compromised, contaminated, confused. But to such people who are burdened with confusion, you gave us this moment where you can give us clarity through your word. We pray for that clarity this morning. Father, you know I'm not a worthy vessel. You know, Lord, that there is nothing that I can do to, do, to regenerate anyone or anything. And that's why I look to you and you alone to bring forth your life within the hearts of my congregants. So be merciful and graceful, gracious. May your gospel shine through. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, I haven't been up here for a month. I want to thank you, Pastor Wujin, for you know, taking over the con while I deal with stuff. But now it's good to be back. So we are continuing our studies in, um, in Genesis, right? The Abrahamic account. And, you know, I was thinking about, um, you know, this text this week. And especially this week, because this week is Holy Week, right? For those of you who don't know, Holy Week, I think all of you would know, but Holy Week is a week that this week is that we remember the sufferings of Christ, the passions of the Christ, and his death. And we also celebrate his resurrection next Sunday. So this week we remember the death of Christ and the resurrection and his resurrection and the life that he gives us because of his resurrection. That's what this Holy Week we're supposed to celebrate, remember and celebrate. But if you think about it, this Holy Week clearly teaches us, right, what this life and our temporary time here is all about. What this Holy Week teaches us more than anything else is the purpose of our lives here and the, perp- and, the, and, and the reason why God allows us to live here in this short, temporary life of ours, it is so that we will experience resurrection, we will experience life. All of us were once in spiritually dead. Now in Christ, we're spiritually, spiritually alive. And if you're spiritually alive, God, through his Holy Spirit, makes you more alive. By, bearing, by allowing you to bear spiritual fruits. If you're spiritually dead, you will continually live in your life bearing the fruit of death. But if you're in Christ, he gives you life and you, can't, you start to bear the fruit of life. This life, more than anything else, is about death and life. That's it. And I think so many Christians get confused of what this purpose of this life is supposed to be. Christians, even Christians, miscategorize what this life is supposed to be. Christians, a lot of Christians, categorize this life as a place where you get to be happy and successful. How do I know? Joel Alstein told me so. I, I do a very complex job. 
right? It's, I'm, like, my, my head hurts every day, right? And therefore, I tend to like simple things in life now. Before, I liked philosophy, like French cinema, independent movies, right? Now I like Ashton Kutcher movies, right? Before, I liked like, complicated, like Tim Keller sermons. Sometimes, like, as a brain candy, I listen to Joe Alstein, right? And get a good chuckle. The thing about Joe Alstein is this. He's genuinely a nice guy. He's so nice. And he genuinely loves his congregation. He really does. And he never asks them for money. He never, he never plugs his book. He never asks them for money. He never says, like, like some prosperity preacher, he never says, God wants me to buy a G4. He never does that. He, I don't think he's a charlatan. He never, he, he's not in it for the money. Here I am, plugging Joe Austin. But what makes him dangerous is he miscategorizes life. He, he believes this life is about success and happiness. It isn't about success and happiness. It is about life and death, this world. We sometimes question the love of God. We do. When things do not go our way, when we suffer, we question the love of God. Do you know why we question the love of God? It is because we, have the ba- we think the basic category of life, like Joe Alstein said, is success and happiness. And if he doesn't make us successful, if he doesn't make us happy, then he's failing us. You see? Our very definition of life is success and happiness. God doesn't see it that way. This Easter week says God doesn't see it that way. This week shows that God cares about life and death. And it is very fitting, I think, that we, we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah on this Holy Week. Because Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, clearly, stay, clearly shows why Jesus had to die. What spiritual death looks like. Through the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, we see clearly what spiritual death looks like. And why God needs to punish sinners. And why Jesus Christ bare the judgment that we deserve. The judgment, the same judgment that God poured on Sodom. It was poured on Christ on the cross. Genesis 19 shows the clearest gospel message. And I think it's very fitting that we study this this week. Let's go to Genesis 19. Genesis 19 is about Sodom and Gomorrah. And I think all of you who went to Sunday school, for those of you who didn't go to Sunday school, I'll give you a brief synopsis, like a one-minute synopsis of what's going on. Lot is Abraham's nephew, right? Remember, Lot and Abraham started to become successful, and Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen started to fight. Abraham wanted to keep the peace, says, let us divide, right? We don't want to fight. It isn't appropriate for us kinfolk to fight. So Lot, this is the land that God has given, the land of Canaan. I look. If you say you want to go to left, I'll go left. If you want to say you go to right, I'll go. If you want to say left, I'll go right. If you want to go right, I'll go left. Let's separate to keep the peace. Lot looks up, and he looked at Sodom. And it was beautiful. It was like Iceland. I don't know. I don't don't know what Iceland looks like. It was like... It was like Montana, I don't know what Montana looks like. It was like basically a really rich land, or Hawaii, or Loa, right? Fishes and spam. 
Sodom was beautiful. And, and Lot goes, yeah, uncle, I'm going to take that land. Right? I'm going to take that land. You take, you know, the not Hawaiian-looking land. So Lot ended up in Sodom because he thought that's the place where he is going to be successful. Once again, Lot's category, success and happiness. But the problem of Sodom is this. That they were very, they were a very sinful bunch. They were so sinful that God had to punish them. God had to smite them out from the face of the earth. And that is what we're going to talk about today. Why did God have to smite Sodom and Gomorrah out of the face of the earth? God had to destroy them because they were spiritually dead. And as spiritually dead people, they cause much destruction. Let's analyze. Let's analyze their spiritual deadness, shall we? What do we know about the men of Sodom? First thing, verse 5, right? Two angels of the Lord visited Lot, right? And these angels of the Lord were in the form of men, and they were visiting Lot, right? Men of the town knew that these two strangers were visiting Lot. So they went to, so they went to Lot's house. Who? He says, like, all the men, young and old. He, he, like, the Genesis writer uses the term young and old to describe the people who are here. He basically means all the men of Sodom and Gomorrah. All the, all the men of Sodom came to Lot's house that day. And they knocked, and they, said, and they called Lot. He says, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. What, is they, what do they mean when he says, bring them out so that we may know them? Do they mean, hey, let's have a beer so we can talk about our backgrounds? Is that mean, does that what it means for, for them to want to know, get to know these men? You're smart people. What do getting to know them mean? I don't want to say it because I'm a holy man. You say it. What does getting to know them mean? Having a beer? The Bible, the Bible version of knowing is sexual intercourse. All the men of the city came to Lot's house and said, bring them out. We want to have sex with them. Other men. So the very first thing that we know about the men of Sodom is that they practiced homosexuality. And homosexuality, as we will see, is a clear indication of spiritual death. I don't think I've ever preached about homosexuality on the pulpit before, but the word sodomy, right? The crime sodomy comes from Genesis 19. And sodomy is when homosexuality was a crime, and that's how they classified that crime, sodomy. So in order for us to talk about the men of Sodom, we need to talk about their homosexuality. They, these men, they were all married, I think, but they practiced homosexuality. And their practice of homosexuality is evidence of their spiritual deadness. I know this is sensitive topic. And I know that this is being recorded. And I know if this gets like, like out to my job, maybe I will get fired. Because this is such a sensitive topic. Because people equate anything against homosexuality as intolerant, judgmental, and wrong. And I'm not saying Christians weren't ill-informed Christians 
were condemning Christ like homosexuality, homosexuals, and they mistreated them as human beings. I'm not saying that church history has not done that. But, but, there, but, but so there is a history of violence against the gay community, and that's true. But that still doesn't mean the homosexuality is not a sin. And we've got to talk about why it is a sin. Because among all the sins, Paul in Romans chapter 1 does a very good analysis of what the root cause of homosexuality is. Basically, my premise before I go on is homosexuality, the act of homosexuality, is a clear manifestation of the spiritual deadness that all of us have. You understand? This homosexuality is an outward manifestation of the state, spiritual deadness that all of us have. Let's talk about it. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, where are we? Verse 18. Right? So let's read verse 18 to 21 together. Let's go. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven and against all. who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has showed it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts became dark. Before Paul talks about any sin, and Paul gives a very long laundry list of sin that is worth wrath of God, he starts the chapter, this section, with this phrase. He's saying, what it means to be spiritually dead is this. Even though God made himself plainly, plainly available to be known. Even though it is very obvious from the creation and from our bodies and everything around us that God exists. Men and women choose not to acknowledge God. Choose not to honor God. Choose not to give thanks to God. Not, not acknowledging God, not honoring God, not giving thanks to God basically means they don't recognize God to be God. They don't recognize the existence of God. They do not. Another way to think about it is God is the ultimate truth, right? God is truth itself. And even the truth is everywhere. Men and women choose not to believe in the truth. Choose not to acknowledge the truth. And therefore, their hearts, their minds became futile. Futile means like useless things. Their minds are filled with useless things. <laughs> things that don't, they don't matter. Things that do not give any life. Things that make no difference at all. Men and women, minds start to be filled with those things. Not only that, their hearts become darkened. Darkened means the light of the truth does not enter them. So they don't acknowledge God. They start living for things that don't matter, like a comic book collection. You know, you know, you know I don't want to be judgment. I don't think anyone collects comic books here, right? Right? Like, 
they, they, they invest their entire lives like collecting comic books. And that's what their life is about. As great as Spider-Man is, it's not worth investing all your life for. That's one example of things that feudal people do. We invest in things that don't matter. I had a really good heart-to-heart -heart with my son yesterday. And I said, son, you got your SAT scores, and I think you can get in this school, and I think you can get into that school, but, I don't think, but when I think about the schools that you can't get into, my heart just breaks. And my son says, that's dumb. I go, why is that dumb? Because, dad, it doesn't matter. Yes, son, that's true. I'm getting my heart broken over the fact that my son is not getting into the particular school that I want him to. What does that matter? What matters is that he has life. What matters is that he knows God. What matters is that he becomes a God-honoring person. That's what matters. A sinful dad. He needs to go to MIT. He's not going to get to MIT. You know what I mean? Futility. Hearts become darker. The truth does not enter the human heart. What happens to such people? These are the people who are spiritually dead. They don't acknowledge God. They become futile in their thinking. Their hearts become, the truth of God becomes blocked out of their heart. What happens to these people? Let's go to verse 26, if you can. Let's read verse 26. For this reason, and for this reason is the reason that we talked about just now, God gave them up to the dishonorable passions. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves the due penalty for their error. You cannot extract the sin of homosexuality within the greater context of what men and women do which basically lives living in ignorance of God and be satisfied with it. When these things happen, what happens? We become controlled by our desires and passions. When truth and God and everything is not important, what rules is our passion and desires? And the homosexuality is a representation of that human state. You understand? Paul's not just condemning this sin of all the other sins. He's not doing that. He is using this sin as an example of what men and women do, what all human beings do in a certain extent. You understand? If you go, if you go later in the verses, Paul condemns envy, boastfulness, pride, right? Disobeying your parents as sins deserving wrath. Do you know, you disobeying your parents if you're a youngster, that deserves the wrath of God? And Paul is saying, all these sins that deserve wrath of God, where do they come from? The same place that homosexuality comes from, from a mind that does not acknowledge God, that does not give thanks to Him. Is homosexuality a sin? Of course it is. But it is the same sin that all of us commit. We may not practice homosexuality. We may practice being envy. We may practice slander. Argument can be made. Slander is more deadly to the community than homosexuality. 
We do these things because we're spiritually dead. We don't acknowledge God. We're futile in our thinking. Our hearts block His truth out. Am I clear? It's not condemning one sin above the other, but merely a description what all of us have. That's the men of Sodom. Their act of homosexuality is evidence that they do not know God, they don't care about God, they are ruled by their passions. They're spiritually dead. And what do spiritually, men, spiritually dead men do? The second thing that they do that deserves condemnation is they wanted to rape these men. They wanted to go to Lot's house, not because they, wanted, they, they were sexually attracted to these men. No, that's not what rape is about. They wanted to rape these men because rape is about exerting dominance and power. They wanted to dominate these men, show these men who's boss. A lot of men's sexualities has to do with dominance and power. We see in the news all these powerful men right, get busted for sexual misconduct. Do you know why these powerful men get busted for sexual conduct? It's not because they're lustful all the time. No, I think their lust has to do with exerting their dominance to everyone everywhere all the time. They need to exert themselves. They need to feel dom dominant. There is, in men, there is a desire to dominate a weaker, weaker vessel. I don't know why that is, but it is. We have it. You must understand, behind our lust for pornography, for example, that pleasure coming from looking at someone being dominated, that is a lot of what, what makes those images attractive to us. Exerting our dominance, our influence against another human being, that is evil. That is in the spiritually dead people of Sodom. That is the spirit, state of spiritual deadness in all of us. These men hated human beings hated those men that visited Lot's house. Not only these, what, what these men wanted to exert their influence. Spiritual blind, blindness leads to hatred of truth. How do you know? When these men told Lot in verse 6, when, when the, in verse 5, when these men told Lot, we want to rape these men, what did Lot do? He says in verse 6, I beg you, my brothers, do not, do not act so wickedly. What is Lot doing? Lot is rebuking them. Lot is saying, what you're about to do is wicked and wrong, and don't do this. Right? It's immoral, it's abhorrent, don't do this. I plead with you, brothers, do not do this. What does it say in verse 9? Stand back. And they said, this fellow came to came to this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse deal worse with you than with them. 
Lot says, brothers, don't do this. He said, look at this. Who is this guy? He, how dare he judge us? That's what he's saying. How dare you judge us? How dare you speak hate to us? How dare you play the moral high ground for, over us? You're a sojourn. You know what a sojourn means? There are two things that they imply. Number one, sojourn means basically Lot is a foreigner. He's not from Sodom, right? He's from where was Bible study leaders? Where was, where was Lot from? Ur. Ur of Chaldeans, right? That's, I'm so smart, right? So, like, he's from there. He's not from Asadamai. And they're saying, how dare a foreigner, not one of us, judge us like this? And the second implication of sojourning is Lot didn't participate in what they participated in. They may go out getting drunk and raping people. Lot didn't do that. They may go out and look at their gladiator, gladiator matches. I don't know what they do. But they engage in sinful pastimes. Lot didn't do that. And they, these men knew Lot was a boring, fundamental, goody two-shoes. And what Lot, the foreigner who was, who was like living contrary lifestyle to them, start judging them and calling them wicked, they got angry. Spiritually blind men hate the truth. They think it's hate speech. They think it's judgmental. Why? Because spiritually dead men and women think their desire is, 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 what, is what matters. And anyone that says no to their desires, forbid their desires, is a judgmental hate monger. Unfortunately, you see that in modern churches. People love it when they preach about the love of God. But they hate it when preachers preach about sin. We want to hear the good stuff, not the truth. I don't know what y'all are doing here, by the way. There are plenty of I God is love churches out there. Modern people do not want to hear it. That's what spiritually dead people do. They don't want to hear the truth. Is that so much different from us? Maybe the reason why we do not go to the Bible as much as, as often as we should is truth is not as interesting as the warm feeling that we get when we sing pretty songs. Bible truth is not as important as the feeling of friendship and community that we feel in this church. Community is really important. Right? Community is really, but community based on truth is, is important. We don't want to hear it. Men of Sodom and Gomorrah didn't want to hear it. Spiritually blind people are blind and they're blind with insatiable lust. So these men wanted to have sex with these, like rape these visitors, right? And these angels like came out, of the, like, came out right? And they blasted a bright light to all the men of Sodom. And these men became blind instantaneously. But you know what, 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 what does verse 11 say? And, they struck, and, and the angels struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great. Once again, it encompasses like every man in the city, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. They're outside. They want to get in to rip these men. The angels come out, blind these guys. They can't see. What do these guys do? Do they get freaked out and leave? No. 
What do these guys do? They want to go in more. Where's the door at? Where? Where's the door? I need to go to the door. I need to do these things. Oh, I can't see. Forget. Even blindness do not cure the insatiable desire for lust and power. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that sad? But that's what spiritually dead people will do. We're blind, we don't know the truth, but we don't care about the truth. All we care about is satisfying our insatiable desires. We will do anything to satisfy our insatiable desires. We will do anything. Spiritual deadness leads to injustice. It's not here in Genesis 19. But if you look at Ezekiel chapter, eight, chapter 16, verse 49, it says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. Ezekiel, God says, Ezekiel, God says, he will destroy Sodom. Why? Because these people were rich. These people had excess of food. These people were comfortable. But they did not care of the poor and needy. They were too busy getting fat, too busy distracting themselves, too busy living in excess to care about the poor and the needy of society. They were living an unjust life. That's what injustice is. Injustice is, is all about me and none for them. Spiritual blind people are insatiably hungry. They're so insatiably hungry, they do not care a lick about people who are in need. Do we not live excess lives here, brothers and sisters? Has not God blessed us so? When was the last time all of us, including myself, cared about, thought about, the poor and the needy of society. Spiritual blindness leads to injustice. So that's what these men were doing. They didn't acknowledge God. They practiced homosexuality. They want to influence their dominance over, the, over, over visitors. They could care less about the truth. All they care about is satisfying, gratifying their insatiable desires. They care nothing about justice. This is just one incident in their lives. But this is how these men lived every single day of their existence while they're they in this earth. What do you think will happen to society when such men live out their sinfulness in their society? Verse 13 says, the angel says, For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people have become great before the Lord. When these men acted this way, there's a cry. Their sin is causing a great outcry caused by the victims of their sins. 
and their odd cry of the, vict- of the victims of their the cry of their victims of their sins, their cry is reaching the ears of God. He says, "Did you know that our sins caused an odd cry to the people that we wrong?" That's what the Lord is doing in my life in the last two months. It's very uncomfortable. Because I'm a certain age where my, my old sins start to, you see the effects of it. Right? In a couple of instances, I was like driving with my son, father, heart-to-heart conversation. And he says, Dad, you know the argument that we had last year? It haunts me. But what did I say? I don't remember. And he told me. What I said to my son that I don't remember caused a great outcry in his soul. Another paralegal. Like we have like, you know, five hour philosoph- philosophy theology talk on Friday. And he says, you know the thing that you said to me last year? No. It hurt me. And I said, what did I say? Da, 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 da. I don't think I meant by it. I don't remember. The things that I don't remember cause a great cry, outcry to the souls, individuals in my son and my coworker. I'm, I, was just, I just wasn't aware of it. Isn't that our sin? Our sins cause outcry against our, our victims are crying out because of the things that how much we hurt them. Is it just me? Am I the only jerk in this room? Are we all holy? It causes an outcry. Sometimes I listen to the sermons of, of the churches of this area. And one of the sermons that I want, like listening to is this church called Alfred Street Baptist Church. It's a predominantly African-American big church in, 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 in D.C. And one of their most famous sermons that they're known for, I think it happened in one of, you know, you know a couple of years ago there were like these police shootings of African-American people? It happened in one of those instances. And the pastor in a predominantly black church preached after that day. And you can see the outrage and the anger of the community feels because one of their African-American brothers, people were murdered by the cops. There is an outrage. In Korea, like, I don't know, five years ago, was it? Like 100 teenagers went on a ferry to, 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 go, on a, to go on a school trip. The ferry kind of flipped over and it was slowly sinking. It took over an hour to sink. The government had plenty of time to rescue them, but they didn't. Oh, they give excuses. Oh, the waves. Government inefficiency led the death of hundred and some odd teenagers. There's outcry. There's outcry, rage of how can this happen? That rage 
from a macroscopic scale to a microscopic scale, when sins are committed against us, we rage. The sins of Sodom caused outrage. My sins cause outrage. And with all due respect, so do yours. And that is why, because God is good, because he has heard the cries of the victims. He sends the angels to destroy Sodom. Because a good God will punish those who cause great pain. That's what a good God does. A bad God just leaves people to hear their people's cries and they do, he does nothing. That's what a bad God does. Good God comes and he wipes them out. And you know, and I think all of us do recognize that it is a good thing for evil to be vanquished. How do I know? Every major Hollywood blockbuster movie, it's the same story over and over and over again. There is a big bad, there is a weak hero, he comes to age and he or she vanquishes evil. That's basically the storyline of every blockbuster in the last 50 years. And yet we still pay $20 a movie to go see it. Yet we still go to Fandango when the endgame opens. We, we go to Fandango and try to buy tickets. Do we, know not, do we not know how that movie's going to end? Thanos is going to die. Spoiler alert. He's going to die. Right? Because we need him to die. Why? Because he killed, spoiler alert, half our friends. Let's say Avengers Endgame, it was like, it never came out. Avengers like ended with Infinity War, that's it. Like half the people getting wiped out and that's the end of the movie and that's the end of the series. How do you think you'll feel? Eh, no! <laughs> so you like, it's not right! Thanos has to be vanquished. You just can't end it there, right? Imagine! No endgame. You'll be outraged. Sean will go lose his mind. Evil needs to be vanquished. It's, you know it's the right thing for evil to be vanquished. You know it's the right thing to do. God does it. He burns Sodom through fire and brimstone. He wipes that place clean. But he saves one group of people, and that's the family of Lot. God, by his justice and goodness, destroys everyone, but God, by his mercy, saves Lot. Let's briefly talk about who this Lot is. What is, what is who is Lot that is portrayed in Genesis? Lot is not a good dude, right? First of all, like, Lot is Abraham's nephew. And like we said before, Lot is a very worldly fella. He ended up in Sodom because he was very worldly. He wanted to succeed. And he did succeed. How do we know? At verse 1, he was sitting near the gates. In those times, sitting near the gates is reserved for the, for the, for the successful people. Right? Near gates in Virginia, it's like the McLean Great Falls area. Or the rich, powerful people are. Right? It's not, you know... Alexandria, right? You know what I mean? I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, not, it's not Centerville, right? It's, it's, 
It's the Great Falls, right? Captain of Industries. That's what they live, right? I'm glad I didn't say Woodbridge, right? <laughs> That's what the city gave him. He's there. It means he made it, man. He's a successful guy in Sodom. And one, one in Second, Second Peter chapter two tells us, right? He had faith. And how do we know he had faith? He was severely bothered, worn out by the sins of his city. Second Peter chapter two, verse seven, I think, says. That he was worn out because of all the sinful acts that was committing around him. He didn't simply, you know, participate in the sinful activities of the city. He, just, he, he simply didn't say it was okay or what are we going to do. He simply didn't just like passively observe it. No, he was really disturbed by the sins of the city. How do you know you have faith? You have faith if sins bother you. If what you watch in TV starts to bother you, the violence starts to bother you, that's how you know that you have faith. One of the evidences of that. Yesterday I was watching a watching TV show with my wife, Magnificent Seven with Denzel Washington. Have you seen the Magnificent Seven with Denzel Washington? A lot of killing. A lot of like old school, like cowboy Indian killing. My wife says, I can't watch this. And I go, good for you, baby. Why? Violence is wrong. Right? Sin bothered Lot. That's evidence that he had faith. If we end it there, that means Lot's a good dude. But the Genesis writer gave a clear, more detailed description of what Lot does. He's not a perfect man, right? How do you know? When the guys came and said, I want to rape these men, what did Lot do? Don't do them because I want to be a good host. Take my two daughters who are virgins. Use them? That son of a gun. He has two daughters. He says, use them. Do with them as you please. That son of a gun. Oh my goodness. What else does Lot do? The angel says, we're going to destroy the city. You got to leave. What does Lot do in verse... Is it 16? I want to say 16. What does Lot do? I don't know what Lot does. I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> the angel says, leave, I'm going to destroy the city. And the Bible says, rather than Lot saying, yep, okay, I'm gone, I'll obey. What does he do? He says, he lingers. I don't want to go. He's going to, they're going to burn the city down and Lot lingers because he loves the city and he loves his life there. He doesn't want to go. He lingers. He's a lingerer. What else does he do? He says, no, Angel says, no, you got to get out of here. He, ta- he takes their hand, his hand, they drag him out, you got to leave. And what does Lot say? Well, what does Lot say? In verse 18, Lot says, oh, okay, I will go. Okay, thank you for God being gracious. Thank you so much for saving me. But you know, you told me to go to the wilderness, but I don't think I can do the wilderness. You know, I think I'm going to die in the wilderness. So can I go to the little city instead? What is he saying? God's going to save me. That's great. But I don't think he's going to save me in my life in the wilderness. I don't think he's going to protect me in the wilderness. Therefore, let me go to this little city called Zor. You know what Zor is called? It's called Little Sodom. 
She wants to go to Little Sodom. Oh my goodness, this punk. He lingers. He offers up his daughter. He doesn't trust that God's going to protect him. He saved God, wipes out everyone. But that guy. Why does God save Lot? To be honest, when I was like studying this text for sermon, I was like offended by Lot. And, and the fact that God saved Lot, I was so kind of offended. Because even I'm a father of a daughter, right? Why did God save Lot? Would you save this guy like this? Second Peter chapter 2, verse 7, I think it says, it's because Lot was righteous and godly. What? Take my daughter, please, as a righteous, godly man. Take my daughter and do as you please. That's a godly, righteous man? Really? That's worthy of salvation? 2 Peter chapter 2 says yes. He's so bad at it, Lot, this thing called faith. Why was Lot considered righteous and godly, to be, that he's worthy to be saved. We didn't read it today, but if you go to verse 29, it says, God remembered the covenant he made with Abraham. The reason why Lot was godly and righteous, the reason why Lot had faith, as bad, as weak as it was, the reason why Lot had faith was because, not because of anything that Lot has done, not because of any worthy thing that Lot has done, but it's because God remembered his promise to Abraham to bless his people. Because God remembered that promise to Abraham, he decides to give faith to Lot and make him righteous. Does that make sense? Lot became righteous. Lot had faith and Lot had, became righteous because of his covenant with God's covenant with Abraham and not because of anything that Lot, who Lot was. Why did God make a covenant with Abraham? Was it because Abraham was such a great guy? No, Abraham, remember Abraham? He was a wife seller too, wasn't he? God made a promise of Abraham because God made a covenant to save his people. And he's going to honor that promise even though Abraham is weak, even though Lot is weak, because God made a covenant to save his people. God's going to honor the promise he made to Abraham. This is the gospel. Why did God save us? Is it because of any perfections that we have? Because is there, is, there, is there a reason why God had to save you? If there is, I don't think you get the gospel. Look, remember I, I talked about how our sins cause, cry, the victims of our sins cause a great cry, right? And it goes to the ears of God. Because we're such people, the same wrath of sapphire and brimstone that we deserve, we deserve the same fate as this men of Sodom. But rather than having us go through that, that fire and brimstone, that judgment fell upon Christ. When Jesus was up on the, up, up on the tree, when God looked at Jesus, he looked at a sodomite. It says in 2 Corinthians that he became sin, which means when God looked at Jesus Christ on the cross, Jesus Christ was a sodomite. Because we are sodomites. 
So rather than killing us, he kills Christ, right? That's what Good Friday is about. So that we can be saved. So that we can be forgiven. So that we can be his. Do you know that is why you're saved? If you think you're safe because, I don't know, you go into SPC for the entirety of your life. But you're safe because you're a good dude. You're safe because you're a tax-paying, responsible person. If there's any reason why you think you deserve to be saved, you don't understand the gospel. There's no reason for you to be saved but for the mercies of God. Do you know that? And when you actually look at it, when you actually think about it, when you actually look at the mercies of God in Jesus Christ on the cross, you know what happens to you? Strangely, but surely, you become more godly. It's weird. The more you meditate upon the fact that you don't deserve mercy, but you've been shown mercy, and that Christ died for you, Christ gave you life, when you start looking at that, meditating upon it, and, becomes, and it becomes more real to you, that has the ability for... That has the power to overcome, for you to overcome your sins. It's weird. How do I know? Last week, I was going through certain things, as, as middle-aged men do. Maybe I'm going through, you know, menopause or something. I'm moody, right? I have feelings, right? I have sins, right? And like, it's, there's a things that I'm struggling with. There's things that I'm struggling with, right? And sins that I'm struggling with. But you know what happened last Sunday? My boy was up here preaching. Call him my boy. I feel it's like a rapture, right? Rapper. My guy was preaching. And when you open up his text and he started preaching, I know exactly where it's going to end up. Right? Like, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty much a straight out gospel story. Right? Were you surprised how it ended? <gasps> I didn't know that. No! You knew exactly where it was going. But because he reminded us of the gospel, and he did it well, he's a very cold guy. He doesn't cry. He only cries when the gospel is preached. Weird guy. When you listen to a sermon, it's like a light came on my, came, came on my brain. And the sin that I struggle with, I don't struggle with it anymore. It's weird. It's instantaneous. Do you want to, do you know, want to know the power of how you overcome your sins? Think about what Christ has done for you. The sheer mystery of why he had to save you. And the sheer death that he went for you. That frees you. That's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 7. Paul is saying when he looks at himself, when he, when he like, do a deep internal analysis of who he is, he basically thinks he's scum. I know the law, but I don't want to do things that I ought to do, and I do things that I ought not to do. That's what Paul says. That's what Romans 7 is about. And Paul says, what a wretched man I am. What can be done? But verse 25 is it. Paul says, thanks be to God. For he has saved me in Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, there's no remedy, there's no power within me. The only power with me is to look at Jesus Christ who saved me. And, when, and the more he looks at Christ, the more he's free. People, 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 this week is a week where you remember what Christ has done for you. Ask the Lord to fill, persuade you more greatly of His great love for you. That's the way you overcome sin. 
You're a sodomite, I'm a sodomite. You're a lot, I'm a lot. None of us is deserving. None of us is deserving. But he loved. He forgave and he gave life. What more can there be to life than this? Let us pray.